yard touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Caught the five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it, and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? It is the breakdown. Thank you for being here with us. It is at DT on SC as always and at TSN underscore Marsh as we recap everything week number four in the Canadian Football League and look towards week five, which is always traditionally Labor Day weekend, right, DT? I mean, it's just normal that you play a month of football and then have some of the most intense games of the regular season. I don't know this season is any different than any other season. It's all the same. <laughs> Uh, as always, we want to thank the people that support us, and we ask you to support them as well as we welcome you to September here on Canadian Football Perspective. Sada City Brewing Company offering brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. Visit their website, sadacitybeer.com, shop their wide variety of brews, and learn more about what they have going on. Lots of fun fall releases for you. Use that promo code as well, CFL, and get free shipping on your order over $100. Ontario residents only and must be of legal drinking age. Uh, let's dive in here to all things week number three. Obviously, only a uh, week number three, I should say, three games in week number four. Uh, and it is such an interesting group of games that we had because it felt like because they were spaced out Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we were supposed to have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if Toronto and Edmonton would have played. But each of these games had their own character. Each of these games felt mm. completely different weather, different surroundings, different storylines, different finishes. It felt like at times you weren't even watching the same league, whether you watched Friday, <laughs> Sunday, or Saturday, Friday, or Saturday, Sunday, and you missed Friday. It's like they all had something different for you. What were your big picture takeaways from each of these three games that we had in week four? Uh, very quickly, Montreal is who I thought they were. Hamilton has rebounded. Ottawa is terrible and bc will be just fine question mark calgary still bad but they look okay in winnipeg i don't know but i think they're really good boom done. <laughs> no. uh, uh, yeah. let's let's go montreal hamilton this the friday one to start yeah. with montreal from that game i take away montreal is who i thought they were uh, we've been talking about it here since the very beginning I, I had I had predicted regression for Vernon Adams, and as he sits here after week four with, I believe it's 52% completion rate, it's more regression than I would have expected, and you can talk about, well, let, let's just go on that. There's a problem I have with people saying, oh, he, he can fix this. Uh, he's a six-year veteran. He's a six-year veteran. This His starting might be new, but he's thrown how many passes in this league? 700, something like that? it's it's a problem and Montreal is who I thought they were so uh, this I find to be a really interesting conversation I don't want to get stuck in the mud on this but I do think that mm -hmm. this is this is something that you and I have a unique perspective on because of the analysis that we do we know that there is a direct and inverse relationship between a couple of things when it comes to throwing in the CFL one is average depth of target versus completion rate right the deeper you go the lower your completion yep. percentage goes the other is the shorter the average depth of target and completion the more yards after the catch you get. There's almost a direct tie-off between yards in the air, yards after catch. If you're throwing a ball two yards, 
a bunch of the time you'll get eight yards after the catch. If you're throwing a ball eight yards, a lot of the time you'll get two yards after the catch. It's this weird relationship that the two have with each other on plays a lot of the time. So, and again, there's tons of outliers to that, but I've noticed that as a general trend. Mm-hmm. I am so intrigued, DT. And I know that we talked about his his growth, Vernon Adams Jr. last week. And I was saying that, you know, how, how do you want to build your team and what type of style do you want to be associated with yourself? I am so interested in what they're doing right now because Kahari is letting Vernon play. Like Kahari is letting Vernon do these things. And yes, they they could lean on William Stanback and be more conservative. And maybe that's the way to, to ground the offense literally and get it back into some sort of formula or rhythm. But right now it's like, yeah, we'll mix in Stanback and yeah, we'll we'll throw some quick game stuff. But it's a lot of shotgun and deep drops and deep throws and when there's there was two plays where I just started giggling watching on last Friday night, and they're both Vernon Adams Jr. escaping. One's free Simone Lawrence, will linebacker off the off the front side, balls on the right hash. He dances Simone at full speed, steps up in the yeah. pocket, throws it 45 yards. The other is the new linebacker from San Diego State or whatever, number 11 from Hamilton, Cameron Kelly, who comes off the mm-hmm. blind side and VA. Sees him, eyes in the back of the head, spins away from it, throws the ball 52 yards in the air, longest depth of target in the entire game. Both of those plays show me that he is being coached, not just being allowed to play that way, but he's being coached. Hey, you are a unique talent that can make creative plays, broken plays. When you break contain or when you are able to escape somebody, look down the field, take the shots. They're obviously telling him, do what you do, be VA, be the big play, be the arm that can sling mm-hmm. at the left. And, and they're because they're reinforcing that, I read the article from Herb Zerkowski in the Montreal Gazette today about Vernon Adams Jr. leaning on his teammates for support because his accuracy is off. And, and the reality is he just missed a lot of the regular underneath and medium throws that he has made in previous times. And they're still trying to take those deep shots. And that equation has resulted in, well, you're taking the deep shots. They're not going to be incredibly efficient. You're missing mm-hmm. the intermediate and underneath throws. That's going to drop your completion percentage. And the short stuff underneath is just dumb little things like on third and 11 in this game against Hamilton, a left-handed offhand flip as you're being tackled to William Stanback, who's, I've learned this year, Stanback is incredibly clumsy when trying to catch screens. Like he, more than I thought, oh, that he, more than I thought he was his timing and spacing and knowing when to turn, knowing how to release the angle that like screens are a real feel play and he's real awkward at it. So all of that is adding up in that 52% completion rate that you're talking about, but it's obvious that this is the style they've dedicated themselves to. And for anybody who's saying, we'll just fix it by getting him to throw shorter. I don't think that's possible. Like they're not going to flip a switch and change who everybody is in this offense. Well, and, and there's there's the problem, and that's why, to me, his his upside is at this point limited, right? You would think, okay, he's got a really he's got a really strong floor because he can do all these things with avoiding pressure, and if they just put him in the design run game more, he could do all the things in that vein as well. But if you can't do the one to nine and ten to nineteen range, right? There's there's numerical reasons why. Hey, those twenty yard plus shots, those are great to take. Those are fantastic. But you complete them 30, 30 yards down the rail is completed 30% of the time in this league. You can't build your offense around that. And there are just things as you watch him that 
If I if I was a quarterback, I, I would be like, what? Just set your feet one time. Just set them one time and, and make the throw. And you go, it's it's your six. It's your six. Just and I don't. And this is me not knowing why, but just as a fan going, just just do that. And I I hope it doesn't take away too much from the stuff that makes you special. But at this moment, I don't know what makes you any better than five. Dom Davis plus five percent, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they both both those guys put the ball in harm's way. Adams a little more elusive. Davis a little bigger, a little bigger arm. But as far as the effectiveness of quarterbacking a football team, I know it's harsh to say, but it, how are they really that different? Yeah, yeah, and, and I agree with you. And also the idea of trying to there's two types of quarterbacks in my mind. There's the quarterbacks who create success on their own from within a system. For example, Mm -hmm. when you see Cody Fajardo and what he's doing, Jason Moss has brought in a system. Cody is taking what Jason Moss has given him and he's creating and he's making plays. And then there's quarterbacks that that you have to try and structure their success, which is the opposite of what I'm talking about. And it feels like at times Montreal is saying, similar to what Dominique Davis had happened to him in 2019, ooh, you know, there's, there's rough parts of your game. Let's try to structure this success around you. And what they're saying right now in Montreal with how they're structuring things is when we attack, we are going to attack vertically more than anybody else. We're going to lean on your ability to make those big plays. Well, like you say, DT, 30% completion rate at that depth. If that's what you're going to learn on, lean on to, to build your offense, just literally analytically, statistically, if you're completing 30% of your passes and you're taking this percentage of throws that are in that 30% completion rate zone, you're going to have a lot of two and outs. You're going to have a lot of punts. You're going to have a lot of short short fields for the other team coming the other direction. And that's a bad equation. And it also leads to more turnovers as well. And what really blew me away, I just actually finished watching this game, which is why it's fresh in my mind, is like Jake Wieneke runs an out route to the field. They just run a flood, right? It's three receivers. The outside two are running go routes and he's just running a 10-yard out. Mm-hmm. VA just misses them like six yards inside. And again, it's yes, it's footwork, it's mechanics, it's whatever. But I saw a video of him, and this is classic. The guy that you want to take the step forward, right? I saw a video of him in the offseason, and my first thought was, man, his mechanics look smooth. And in the offseason, they can be smooth because it's safe and protected, and you're doing a certain amount of throws in a controlled environment and no pass rush. And and then you see him going to, to week one, and or week two, I should say, because they were off week one with the bye, but seem going to week week two and you start to think to yourself like, yeah, the mechanics look good. And then the heat starts coming, right? Week three, week four. And as the season goes on, this is the type of quarterback that typically takes all those things that they had in the off season and has difficulty applying them to in season. And that's what I'm seeing with the mechanics is it's not that they've always been awful. I think he made a lot of improvements. I just think that the improvements are being withered away by the intensity of gameplay and the fact that he's just focused on getting the ball where it's got to go. And he's, he doesn't have the ingrained 10 years, like Michael Riley of, you know what, when the heat is on in a pressure moment in the fourth quarter, I don't have to think about where my feet are going to be pointed because I'm going to put the ball where it needs to go. And again, Riley's not perfect. Bo Levi Mitchell's not perfect, but they're at a higher percentage in certain situations and they're more accurate in certain ways. Yeah. Say everything you want about Trevor Harris he is going to be able to complete a lot of passes in the fourth quarter because it is out of out of, out of his mind map where he's just going, I know where to get the ball and I'll just put it there because I know how to. But the other thing I found really interesting here about Montreal 
is that when you mentioned the 10 to 20 and the 20 plus range uh, in this game against Hamilton of the throws that he had, which I don't know, let me see how many total throws he had here to do because his average depth of target actually wasn't as long as I thought it would be. Uh, it was only 11.56, which considering, oh, wow. yeah. considering the way that he threw the ball vertically, I was like, what? But that's because he had a bunch of throws behind the line of scrimmage. There was five of them that were minus one, minus four, minus four, minus five, minus five. So they were doing a lot of the dink and dunk stuff, I think, to try and get him into a rhythm. But that didn't really help because he's not really that player. Then you look from the 10 to 20 range, those intermediate throws that at times he struggled with in terms of accuracy. Mm. They, they had nine of those in the game. From 20 to 35 yards, right, next level up, they had one throw. They had one throw. Okay. They had one. So, and then after that, 35 to 50 plus, they had five throws. So again, let me paint this picture for people. Let me paint this picture for people. Let me paint this picture. So basically what their chart is looking like, if you're just listening on audio, and again, I'll put out these target charts here on Wednesday as you're listening to this on cfperspective.com so people can see kind of what we're talking about. But I haven't even put it together yet, but I'm looking at these numbers and I'm thinking to myself, I know exactly what this is going to look like. Behind the line of scrimmage and within five yards, heavily targeted. That's normal in the CFL. 10 to 20, heavily targeted. 20 to 35, barren wasteland. 35 to 50 plus, hot. Like he doesn't, he doesn't do the typical <laughs> stuff that most CFL quarterbacks do. Part of it makes me love him. And part of it makes mm. me frustrated because when you see the miss throw to Weineke where he's wide open, that's bad. The interception that he throws where he gets picked off by Frankie Williams it's such a bad route by Kayon Julian Grant. He runs this little bang route. He never really, he just is basically backpedaling away from the throw and VA staring him down to the wide side of the field against a quick corner in Frankie Williams. What makes you think that's going to get completed? The yeah. play, the play where he spins away from Cameron Kelly looks to Jake Weineke down on a skinny post in the middle of the field. Jake has two yards of separation is running at full speed has no defender in front of him that would make you not want to just throw it out there and allow him to run underneath it. And similar to Dane missing that skinny post throw to Brandon Banks in the fourth quarter, it, same time of the game, by the way, where they both miss these throws, he ends up leaving it so short that Jake Wanneke has to not only come back towards the football, he has to stop running and just get into a jumping contest. There's nobody mm -hmm. out there. And so it's like, these are the things where I'm going, man, if they refine make the bang throw. Don't stare down the receiver. Make that outbreaking throw to Jake Wynicke when he's wide opening up four yards of separation and you throw it behind him. Make the big play down the field when you have the ability to because you made the freakish athletic play to break the pocket. He is frustrating to me. I, I like watching him. I do. But he's frustrating to me right now because we're just <laughs> looking at we're looking at the numbers and the results. And I'm telling you, the process is not that bad. He's just not finishing throws with accurate ball placement. And if he does, they are going to be killers in the East division, but they're just not right now the way wow. that he played. Well, and there's a point where I, I, I just kind of give up and go, yeah, you don't, it's not going to happen. Luke Mullender, my radio partner pointed out to me in advance of the Montreal at, at SAS game last year. He's like, wow, he really stares down his receivers. And what was it? Two games ago, he watches a guy go, Boundary or boundary all the way across the field and watches him and waits till he gets into double coverage and then throws it. And that was that for me, that was a story of him in 2019 and why I thought he was going to regress in 2021. And then to see it happening again in 2021 with the stories of man, he's working out so hard and he built a gym and look at the stuff he's doing. 
if it's not fixed now, why, why as an Alouettes fan would I have any confidence it's going to get fixed in the future? Because again, this isn't, you know, Jake Mayer, if Mayer had been doing this in his first two starts, cool. He's fresh out of college. Let's go. Six years in the CFL right. for Vernon. And to see it transition from 19 to 21, I we're not we're not taking any victory laps here for predictions we made, but through three games, it's it's exactly what I thought it it's it's a little worse than, but it's what I thought it could be. I just don't think they are that far off from hitting on those plays as it seems. Like when I watch it back, the end cut of the the missing the skinny post when he breaks the pocket away from Cameron Kelly, mm-hmm. it's open. Like this sure. this is the frustrating part. Is it it's, open on time though? Is right, he on but, time with that but, throw? Though? But he spins out of the pocket. He's creating. He's got his eyes down the field. He locates a receiver and he just lets it rip. And it's like, I get it. It's a 52-yard throw. The accuracy on 52-yard throws is difficult. But when your receiver has separation <laughs> and you have the arm strength to get it there, it's it's just like, man, that play, if you make it, like at that point in the game, uh, they were down 10. If he makes that play and they score, they're down three in the fourth quarter. Like those are the plays that if, again, just to wrap this all up, if he hits on those, they're in every game. When he doesn't hit on those, they lose by 17 to a Hamilton team with a new quarterback in who's finding themselves with a lot of injuries. And, And like that, that right there is the Montreal Alouettes. And well, for anybody who listens consistently to our podcast here on CFP, specifically the breakdown, I have a feeling this is going to be the Montreal conversation all year. Did they hit on the big plays, the creative plays, the off-schedule plays for VA? Yes, they won. No, they lost. That's it. Like, that is the Montreal yeah. Alouettes of 2021 through the first month. Yeah, and and it's why I wasn't real high on them. And just think about what would have been the difference in that Calgary game. This this much. Yes. This my I, I don't even my box isn't even big enough to describe how much <laughs> just how much it would have had to be, but it wasn't it wasn't much bigger than my box. What did you think of Dane? Because I mean, twenty seven is what double the number of points they put up in the previous two games combined. Yeah, I thought that he he did what Dane does, which is be smart with the football. And I, I've been asked by a lot of people already going into Labor Day here. I was doing Sports Cage with you. I was on with Reed Wilkins in Edmonton today. I did Ben Grant's Exes Nargos podcast, and we're all looking at. The quarterback situation and my take on Jeremiah and Dane and why I think Dane is the answer here going forward, despite the fact that I love Jeremiah, is Jeremiah's ceiling is way up here. Dane's ceiling, just as high. Jeremiah's bottom, way down here. Dane's bottom, eh, somewhere in the middle. Like when Dane is not on, raise the floor. When Dane is not on, it might be dull. There might be a lot of short completions. The completion percentage might not be where you want it to be but it's not going to be throwing the ball into the chest of Willie Jefferson. like, And that's the difference to me between these two guys. So when he goes into Montreal, I actually thought his the called runs that Tommy Condell gave Dane Evans in Montreal were interesting because there were two, basically, it looked like zone read keepers that were called where he wasn't really reading a defensive end. They might have blocked the defensive end even on one. And they looped Kalinich around to lead block for Dane going, and he actually turned the corner right. and ran for 8-10 yards. They called a couple of those. They called a quarterback draw in the first half when they emptied it. It went four by two or three by three. I forget what it was. But they actually tried to use his legs a little bit, which to me was a bit of a new dimension in terms of play calling that they didn't really use in 2019 all that much. And then in terms of the way that he handles himself in the pocket, I like Dane because as we're talking about Vernon and his mechanics and some of the issues, 
Dane is really, really sound at how he builds himself from his feet up, like feet through ankles, knees, hips, everything is, he's got a whippy arm, but he is mm. extremely comfortable standing in the pocket. And he took some hits too, man, because Hamilton's got some challenges right now on the offensive line. He took that one from Menard who got called for roughing the passer when Nick Usher wrapped him up. That is a, that's a pro football hit. Like that's the type of stuff where in any given Sunday you see, you know, Lawrence Taylor and the Sharks coming in and they get the close-up shot of like, and then it's just like football. Like that, that's a really tough hit. And what did he do? He popped his helmet off. He adjusted his chin strap. He put it back on. He went back to work. And, and like, not that Jeremiah doesn't do that too, but I just, I love the way that Dane carries himself in the huddle. I think he's got some throws that he's incredible at. It's the little things with him that I love, the slant timing, ball comes out always on time, on placement, swing throws. He's the best at throwing bubble screens in the entire CFL. I don't care what anybody says. I know that's a weird thing to fall in love with, but <laughs> but that is something that every single, I've never seen Dane throw a ball behind somebody low at their knees, at their ankles. Every, every bubble screen, every swing, every screen that he throws is right where it needs to be to help the receiver and the running back go upfield. So there's a lot of things to like from him, and I think there's a lot that they can build on there. I now, I now want to go back and look at every pass he's thrown behind the line of scrimmage. It, oh, it's, uh, it, it, hands up if you also had Stephen Dunbar in, in CFL Fantasy. <laughs> Boom! We're all winners. Let's all celebrate together. Um, I heard you uh, did. I saw Christina Costabile's tweet about this, and I was like, "Man, that that is a pull. I would not have thought of that." Boundary wide receivers for the win, right? Even though yeah. Dane's a guy who likes to use all five, you know, all five receivers, as it were. He does spread the ball around. He's not as boundary concentrated as Zach Caleros is. I just thought, man, twenty five hundred bucks. Let's go. I uh, watching that game and watching them just take Montreal apart. It just made me think, man, they're doing this to Montreal in Montreal when they are not even remotely healthy, mm-hmm. not even remotely healthy. Yeah. I just thought, okay, is if I have to forecast, will I be looking back six weeks from now and go them going to Dane Evans and stomping Montreal into the ground was the turning point of the season for them. I, at this exact second, I kind of feel like it was. And if Toronto shells them on Monday, then I'll take that back, obviously. Yeah. But I just feel like, oh, did did they figure out, or did the lack of a preseason and the weird offseason, blah, 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 did they finally figure themselves out here in this third game of the year? And I, for me, who who thought uh, Hamilton was going to be pretty great this season, I, I kind of hope they did. And if it's with Dane Evans, uh, and I was calling for Jeremiah Masoli three weeks ago, Bring it on because whatever, honestly, whatever works, works. And for whatever reason it worked, it, it very clearly worked uh, on Friday. I think Jeremiah will play again this season at some point. I just have no idea when it's going to be. And it's going to be contingent on Dane struggling. And Dane was 9-3 and three in yeah. 2019, and he's 1-0 and oh in 2021. So if they continue to have a winning percentage that is 75% or above, and they get on a roll and they get a bunch of home games because they started the season with a month on the road, it's going to be tough for Jeremiah to get back in the game unless Dane gets dinged, but he's also really good at protecting himself. Like he is smart. He doesn't take dumb hits in the pocket. Again, the offensive line is going to be responsible for his health moving forward and they need to do a better job of protecting him or Masoli. Otherwise they're not going to have success. And especially with back-to-back games against Toronto and four games over the next three months against the Toronto Argonauts. If, if Toronto gets Shane Ray back, Sean open up there, Coney Ely, they go Charleston Hughes, Cordero. I mean, 
if they if they get into a rhythm as a pass rushing group and they start Glenn Young, the defense coordinator for Toronto, starts throwing some spicy different twists and blitz packages that haven't been seen on film yet, which I fully expect because it's Labor Day and teams like to open up the bag of tricks a little bit. If that happens, they got to get the ball out quickly. And there's going to be receivers that need to have their head on a swivel because we saw in that Winnipeg-Toronto game that when you know the ball is coming out quickly on slant routes because you can't protect like Winnipeg, uh, or sorry, Toronto couldn't protect in that second half, the ball comes out quick, throws the slant, Brandon Alexander comes downhill, massive collision, Armani Edwards out of the rest of the game. So uh, yeah. it's there's an equation there where it's like, I'm a little concerned about Dane's health. I'm a little concerned about the receiver's health against Toronto in the next couple of weeks. But there is a game plan to be built there. And if anybody can do it, I love Tommy Condell's work. So I'm not against uh, him being able to have some success. Do you got any last thoughts you want to wrap on Toronto or uh, Hamilton, Montreal, I should say? Uh, Dane Evans, that 2019 threw a hundred passes at or behind the line of scrimmage. Only six were uncatchable. 94% cat is, is pretty good. That's, I, that's, that's really good. Actually. And they're sexy. That's, this is the thing. They're yeah. actually, they're really sexy. Like I'm, there was, I forget when I realized this, but I think they threw two or three bubble screens in one game. And I always had trouble with those throws because whether you're under center or in the shotgun, it's catch the ball, gather. Some guys can go without laces. I I didn't have a problem going without laces as long as the ball wasn't wet, but you catch, gather, find the laces, flip your hips and get the ball out as quickly as you can. And you just want to hit him in the right spot where it's behind the line of scrimmage so that the receivers can block down field ahead of it. And yep. you can lead him up the field, but you don't lead him too far up field because then you're going to lead him right into the back of his receiver. And he has this ability to get the ball out quicker than I think, honestly, anybody in the CFL on those specific throws. And I don't know how it's always on target. And he doesn't throw it tentatively. And again, this is nerd quarterback stuff, but there's a <laughs> lot of ways to throw a bubble screen that you can lead a guy too far up field. As I say, you can throw it behind him. You can throw it low and hamper his ability to turn up field, or you can throw it tentatively. Like I was always guilty of where you just want to put it in the exact right place, but you don't know if you can do it at full speed. Dane throws bubble screens. Like he's throwing a 15 yard dig route between linebackers and the tempo on that ball. I would love to have one year at the combine when Michael O'Connor was there, we actually put a, a device on the football to measure spin rate, uh, and the, the velocity of the football in the air and all these things. We were testing something with Wilson through the CFL, and I would love to see that type of stuff on Dane's throws on bubbles and quicks and smoke screens and bu- tunnel screens and all that, because he is unusually confident, and that's the type of little stuff that I see, and I'm like, that guy fits in the CFL, because he makes that throw extremely mm-hmm. confidently. So, uh, all right, enough nerds, quarterback stuff here. Let's move on uh, to BC against Ottawa, a game I'll remember. Yeah, uh, it, uh, we will We will all remember for Marshall Ferguson's <laughs> first of 500 CFL games called on TSN. Uh, my, my, play <laughs> chart, my play chart has been laminated. Uh, nice. It, it will be remembered forever and ever with uh, a little note in the bottom corner that uh, kept me sane uh, for the entire game for Noah and Mar love forever and always. There you go. Uh, so <laughs> uh, and you, love, you love Trevor Noah that much. That's awesome. I do. Yeah. yeah. Huge fan comedy <laughs> network, CTV comedy channel. Um, yeah. Go. Yeah. I, uh, Let's I talk about Ottawa for a sec. Yeah. I, I want to throw you something on Ottawa. Uh, Glenn Suter does a regular spot on my show twice a week. He's in our pregame show. So he said time to go to, Time to go to Dominic Davis. 
Do you believe time to go to Dominic Davis if you're the Ottawa Red Blacks? I'd rather go to Michael O'Connor in a trade than I would to Dominic Davis. Why? Why? Do you, why so? Because I have I have my reasons why I agree fully. Yeah. But so, why do you say so? Dominic Davis is a two-layer player. Again, not dissimilar from what I was talking about with Vernon Adams Jr. He is under 10 yards and more than 35, 40 yards down the field. That's where a lot of the attempts go. The deep ball accuracy, if you ignore week one, week two, Calgary and Saskatchewan in 2019 was atrocious. Um, the 14 interceptions to five touchdowns is not going to be something that will be received well by your fan base. If you decide to take the ultra-efficient calm in the pocket, throw it underneath. I'm not going to challenge the defense, but I'm not going to make some really bad mistakes. Let's try to win some games with special teams and defense this year, Ottawa Red Blacks. And you say, yeah, that guy that we brought in and uh, and we promised you we were going to lean on his experience to get us through this season. Yeah, we're going to actually go to the guy who's kind of reckless with the football at times. Big arm, talented, athletic, can move. But I I've seen Dominique Davis have packages built for him before in Winnipeg and in Ottawa. And he's not successful as a package player. And when you put mm -hmm. him in the game yeah. as a full-time player, then if he's making 20 throws, you are going to see two that make you go, whoa, that guy has talent. You're going to see 16 that are, eh, okay, whatever. And you're going to see two that make you go, what the hell was he seeing? So like that's, that's kind of the split on him. And again, a little bit like Masoli, where when he makes errors, he makes big ones and he makes costly ones. And I think if you're Ottawa, as sad as it is to say to Red Blacks fans, I hate to say this, but you are better off watching Matt Nichols throw three-yard checkdowns and crossing routes at times for the remainder of the mm -hmm. year, playing it safe and trying to win games other ways than turning the keys over to a quarterback who I know he is going to be inefficient with the football and that's going to end up costing you more than it's going to help you. Yeah, I, I have a tough time with arguing with uh, with any of that. I, I don't I don't think it's I don't think you can go to Davis. We I think we saw that in 2019. All the things you mentioned, I saw him in a game throw three picks on six passes to the to the Riders, and I literally sang a Christmas carol when he threw the third one to Derek Moncrief running right downhill at him because <laughs> the previous one had hit L.J. McCray right between the numbers. I, I feel like we've we've seen that story before. And you were talking about floors and ceilings with, with the Hamilton quarterbacks. I, I do think that Dominic Davis might raise their ceiling in Ottawa, but I'm I'm very sure he lowers their floor. Matt Nichols would be a great floor raiser. Like he would you would not be worse than this. And it, it would be pretty nice because Matt Nichols is not Matt Nichols is all right. He he will absolutely raise your floor. Uh it's it's going to get more troubling if if you go to to Dominic Davis and I like the thought of him being the number two quarterback there because you can have him in the game and he can do the short yarded stuff and you can Strebler like in 2019 for the Bombers you want him to throw on second and one I absolutely let's run a pattern where it's one one receiver and one defensive back and there's a lot of open space sure a low risk pass that might pay off big. Big, absolutely, let's go with that. But I just, after what we saw from him in 2019, I just can't do it. And there's one thing, while you were talking, you made me think of one thing. Uh, you talk about the two throws that Davis made. That game against Saskatchewan in week two of 2019, he was unbelievable. Yeah, That was a top, at least top five in the CFL in 2019 quarterback performance. Phenomenal. But one thing we kind of do as football watchers is we, we look at 
what a guy can do and go, well, he can do this, but we don't look at how often he does what he can do, right? He can make throws with anybody in the CFL. Okay, sure. But how often does he do that? Mm-hmm. Oh, 4% of the time? Well, that's not good, right? It could be amazing, but 96% of the time it's below average, yep. right? And- so what, what he can do is not nearly as important in my mind as how often he does what he can do. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, honestly, DT. And potential is just what you haven't done yet, right? And uh, he's he's been labeled as a potential guy. There was Jack Armstrong used to always say this when we talked to him about basketball and the Raptors. He would say, there's some guys in the NBA who I call forever potential guys because mm. they get to stay in the league. And for him, Andrew Wiggins was actually that player where he was saying his entire career, he's been the next big guy. He's got all the skills and these, the length and the athleticism and the uh, he'll grow into that guy. Yeah, he's got potential. Yeah, he's got... You're looking at it now, you're like, um, how long has he been in the league? How many years? And you're, and you're going like, is he ever going to become that guy? Or does he just get a free pass to be getting opportunities because he's forever a potential guy who shows you flashes? Because this is the thing about players like Dominique Davis. You look at his build. You look at his athletic skill set. Mm. You, you look at his arm, and it just makes you drool. And then, like I say, he gives you those two throws out of 20 that tantalize you. He gives you 16 that are whatever, and he gives you two that are awful. But the two that are awful always hurt you more than the two that he makes that are great. And that's that's the equation that leads to him being where he's at at this point in his career. I, I have a really hard time imagining that Paul Apolise will be able to, on short order, extract greatness out of Dominique Davis, which is why I don't think that... And it, again, that's not a shot at Paul. Like Paul's one of the best at what he does. But I just don't think that this is the right situation for Dom. I don't think they anticipated yeah. having to go to Dominique Davis by the time they finished the first month of the season. But, oh man, all hell's going to break loose on Friday night in Montreal if we get Dominique Davis, Vernon Adams Jr. I don't know what the hell that's going to look like. Do you? <laughs> nope, but I'm going to love assessing it on video and going, <laughs> yeah, okay. No, no, and it, it, it's, and yeah, I, I like the, I like your perspective of it. Uh, Suits has the perspective of it's, it's different. And Dominic Davis, you got to give him a shot. And I totally respect that. Uh, it's, it's, it will see which way Ottawa chooses to go because Lapo knows Davis from his time in Hamilton. Mm. And at the same time, Davis was allowed to leave, pardon me, time in Winnipeg. Davis was allowed to leave Winnipeg to go to Ottawa. Yeah. And you go, okay, well, as an outsider with, with no knowledge of what's going on behind the scenes, what should I take from that? If he was the next great thing, would, would Lapo, would Winnipeg have left him leave in the first place I, I don't apart from that I I honestly don't know I, and I don't want to poop on Ottawa because I've very clearly done enough of that and it's only so much fun being being right when you watch them you know that people are man I'm soft today I'm feeling I'm talking about people and their feelings and <laughs> and they work hard and it's just not going well for them um I don't I honestly don't know what I would suggest to help Ottawa improve other than get those guys back from the six game injured list and and work at it from there. I honestly don't know what the answer is. Mark. Well, So the, there's two things here. I'll say one is that I think what Suter is doing there with the idea that you got to play Dominic Davis because it's a changeup is what he really means is you need to play the backup quarterback because that's what we do in situations where offenses look like this. But the problem with that take by suits is that you want to play the backup quarterback, but the backup quarterback is very clearly not the answer in this situation. Like, if you were to look in Toronto, McLeod Bethel-Thompson not getting it done, do you go to the backup? Hell yeah, you go to the backup. It's Nick Arbuckle. He's got the potential, and he can take the ball and run with it, and he did it in week three, and now he's going into Labor Day. 
Dominique Davis is not the answer in this spot. And I, I somewhat sarcastically say I'd rather play Michael O'Connor because I don't know what the hell O'Connor looks like in a CFL game more than some reps in week 21 of 2019 Toronto at, at Hamilton. But I know that Dom Davis is, and I, again, I'm with you. I hate beating the, you know, hey, don't play this guy. Don't play this guy. But yeah. I, I had heard from somebody going into last week that Dom Davis had received a bunch of snaps in practice and they were building a package for him. And then we get into the game and he doesn't take a single snap. And then I was talking to Dave Naylor earlier today and he said, yeah, he called Ottawa and they gave Dominique Davis a bunch of snaps as well in practice today. And they're expanding the package for him going into Friday. And, you know, I talked to Dunnigan about this a little bit and he said, how long have you been in the league and we're still building packages? Like if, if you're at this point in your career and we're building packages around you and your game really hasn't changed all that much better or worse, you're just stuck in a rut. Like you are what you are at this point in your career. It's, you always say this about quarterbacks typically is that you end up basically having first year, you're raw. You don't know what you don't know. Second year, you take a jump. Third year is your best evolution of yourself. And when you become the rest of your career is what you build into your third, fourth year and grow from there. Well, he's beyond three, four years. that He is this quarterback who's going to have the, the positives and negatives that we've talked about. Um, yeah. here do you have anything of interest on bc i know it was a wet game i mean there wasn't a whole lot to talk about it was a very rudimentary game where they just yeah. let's get it let's get in get out kick some field goals get the victory go to the bye more shaq cooper was nice i i don't know i don't have dominic rhymes numbers off the top but i'm very surprised that dominic rhymes hasn't been a an, an integral part of that offense so far uh yeah. lucky whitehead slowed down the last two games because you have to or you're going to have two thousand yards yeah uh Burnham is still Burnham. I'm I'm just a little surprised Dominic Rhymes hasn't been a bigger part of that. I wonder if that's the switch positionally from the X to the Y or or just what it is. But uh, I I was hoping for more from uh, I was hoping Dominic Rhymes would have more opportunities. Let's say it that way. Yeah, for sure. He was dinged a little bit in this game, so his stats probably won't look very mm -hmm. good. But he Rick Campbell actually circled him uh, in our pregame conference call last Thursday saying uh, we like Dominic Grimes a lot because he does a lot of the dirty work that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. He said he's we're giving him a lot of that trap blocking or chipping defensive ends on the field side or getting involved in the run game and, and working your way to the middle linebacker is kind of like a crackdown. And so, yeah, right. he's, he's doing some stuff. I think that uh, his role has changed from what we thought that it was in Ottawa, because let's be real, they're, they're a better receiving group right now than Ottawa when he left there, right? 2019, like to come over and go from that group to being one that has Burnham and, and Lucky Whitehead doing what they've done. It's, there's not a whole lot of room for other people to be involved in that one. So um, yeah. What, what's his depth of target this season? Probably bum, 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 bum. seven or eight, I would guess, Max. Uh, do I not for some reason? Oh, Dominic Rhymes, 8.8. Uh, .8. He was the deepest targeted receiver in the league last year. And yeah. now it's 8.8, .8, which is uh, the average pass down field is what 9.5 for folks who who aren't following this quite as well as you as nerdy as you and I are. So <laughs> that's that's maybe that I don't I don't know that I love that, but I I just I'm kind of neutral on BC. Like, yep, things are going well. They're two and two. Uh, I have the over on five wins this year. Things are going right for DT, and everything will come down to okay, what does Mike Michael Riley's arm look like ten weeks from now? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, Dominique Davis, for anybody who's listening to this heading into Friday, I wrote on my play sheet here in case he got in because I had a weird feeling he was going to get some snaps and he didn't end up. But um, <laughs> it's 
sorry, I'm just looking at the stats from last year. 200 of 312 for a 64% completion rate, 2,200 yards, 14 interceptions, five touchdowns, career high, three touchdowns versus Saskatchewan week two. Career high, 354 yards versus Saskatchewan. It's like, how does somebody have one game that makes them look that way and the rest of their career essentially is a different human being? I, I, I'll never understand it, but he's taken five snaps in 2021, Dominique Davis has. Two of them have been quarterback sneaks. The other yeah. three have been called running plays. He has not attempted a pass as of yet in 2021 in this spot. And in terms of depth of target, this was my favorite depth of target research that I did going into this game. Ryan Davis out of Auburn, that's been getting a bunch of touches with them throughout the year. Average yards in air. What do you think his yards in air have been through the first? Don't go researching it. I mean, uh, I, I think I'm. I know my number is different from yours because uh, just because of the way uh, when you said it on the air, I thought it was I thought it was hilarious, and I had to look. Uh, <laughs> I have I have it being zero point nine okay. running back level. Yes, 0.9. exactly. He is essentially a running back uh, getting screen passes behind the line of scrimmage. I had negative zero point five. Like his average throw was targeted to him behind the line of scrimmage, which just yeah, bl- blew me away for a receiver. And then you see Lapo basically just looking for anything that'll work. And two or three times in that game, he goes to the speed sweep from under center to Ryan Davis. And it's just like, again, it's not high school level stuff. But, oh, this is actually, I wanted to mention this because mm. we have been banging on Ottawa so much and, and with good reason because they haven't performed. But I asked Lapo some actually difficult questions about their offense when we were off recording, just, just the two of us talking about this. And I said, like, how do you explain that certain plays that you ran in Winnipeg that looked so crisp and so effective, like for example, the you know fake toss to the field inside pitch counter where you pull the guard and the tackler around. I told him, I'm like, I don't know what you call that, but I've seen that play from you. I love that play from you. It's been really effective in Winnipeg. It's still effective in Winnipeg because Dembski's getting it now from Kolaros and it's just like, bing, bang, boom, boom, counter, boom, 15 yards. Mm. They tried to run that play in Ottawa in week three and it looked slow it looked clunky it didn't get any yardage it was just it looked bad and i went man that's a perfect microcosm of what we're talking about with this stuff a play that i know how it should look i know how crisp it looks in winnipeg and it looks slow and disorganized in ottawa and i said how do you explain that and he said here's the thing when i started in in winnipeg as the offensive coordinator it looked like the stuff that we're going through okay but each year we built. And so we could put in something and in training camp, they knew how to run it because the core group was there and they understood we had continuity and we continued Kyle Walters re-signed a lot of our guys. And we had the same head coach, Michael Shea, through all of this ups and downs that we were going through. And the offense was building year over year over year. We got faster. We got smarter. Our terminology became more effective. Our turbo package got better. And he said it got to the point where it was like build, 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 where you're getting to West semi, you know, playoff berth, West semifinal, West final, Grey Cup. And it culminates in that offense obliterating the Ticats defense in the Grey Cup. And he said, now I'm in Ottawa. This is essentially 2015 for me in Winnipeg. He said, we're figuring out how to, how to install things. We're teaching them how to see what we're putting in. We're still deciding who our core guys are. We don't have a core that we've been building with for four or five years. That's why the things that you're seeing side by side look so different because the situation is so different. Uh, and I thought that that was a mm-hmm. great answer. We didn't get to bring that to air, 
but I wanted to sprinkle that in here because I thought that that was such a great answer. When you're watching Ottawa games, you're like, what the hell's wrong with this? Why are they so bad? That's Lapo in, in pure honesty saying, I'm building something here. We're just not there yet. This takes time. And he believes in the way that he coaches it. And he knows he's going to get guys up to speed that are worthy of being taught how to get up to speed on it. But they need that time and they're just not there. Maybe the answer to Ottawa's woes is in 2015 Winnipeg. Drew Willie signs with the Red Blacks. <laughs> Write it down. Drew Willie back in the league. That guy could throw the ball. Man. When I when I heard that quote, Lapo left and uh, the Zoom call, and I immediately said to Dwayne Ford, there you go, Ottawa, 2025 Great Cup champs. He just called it. So <laughs> we'll see the, down the, the road. The third game, I was I went through all of Zach Caleros' throws from yeah. week one to week three yesterday. Uh, one, the league is so much better when Zach Caleros has confidence and has protection. But two, I was I was uh, assessing everyone for was it accurate, was it catchable, all that stuff. And man, he is laser pointed, and that back foot is down, and that ball is gone, and it's not—it's not like Ottawa is doing short stuff. But Kalaros is just—I mean, he just bam the ball, and the receiver's open. It's right on target. There were a few times where I had to—you know—those throws where you have to rewind it and go, "Oh, he put it behind him. Let me take a look at this. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the all 24. Oh, that guy's going to get mushed by the will if he puts it in front of him. So that's actually a really good throw. Accurate, yes." Like yeah. Kolaros is on it this season and it, and the league is so much fun when Kolaros is on it because he does, he has all this great quarterback stuff in the pocket and his throwing style, I find entertaining, but then he does the scramble stuff and there are not, there's not more than one quarterback better at eluding the pressure in the pocket. And I love it when Kolaros is good. The league is good. Yeah, I, I have nothing to add on that. That is everything I wanted to say about Zach. The accuracy, the confidence, the playmaking, it's it's that's perfect. I will let that stand. I'll just say on Jake Meyer on this one mm. that I, I'm going to dive in this week on CFP and do an article on anatomy of a completion streak because I want to look at Matt Nichols. This is what's crazy too. When we're talking about the era of efficiency and completion percentage in the CFL, the single game record for completion streaks in the last essentially 15 uh, foot, like weeks of football that have been played in the CFL, we've had three players set completion streak records that are all-time records. Matt Nichols in 2019, Dane Evans in 2019, and now Jake Meyer. Like, and all mm. of those are on the top 10 all-time in the history of Canadian football passing games. There's been a hell of a lot of games. And that tells me kind of where a lot of these teams are at the skill level and the accuracy of quarterbacks when they're on in this era is pretty special, but I want to compare those of the last two seasons, Nichols, Evans, and Meyer or Mara, I should say, and, and look at them in terms of depth of target difficulty, like who is the most impressive yeah. of the completion streaks? Because the reason I, I have a special kind of love for this is I was a completion streak guy when I was playing. And the reason for that was that I didn't have a big arm. I didn't have the yeah. athleticism like Vernon Adams Jr. I didn't have the eyes in the back of my head to scramble, make people miss in the open field. So what I relied on was scheming things open and making throws. And my I'll never forget this. My first game that I got a chance to start in university was on the road against Windsor. And it was because our starting quarterback, Kyle Quinlan, had been suspended. And I started the game with like 15 or 16 completed passes in a row. So we're halfway through the second quarter and I'm 15 or 16 throws in and I haven't missed. And then I watched the game back the next day with the team and I realized there's a reason I didn't miss 
everybody was schemed open and my average depth of target was about three yards down the field. So I'm throwing (laughs) rub routes and crossers and hooks and curls and swings and screens. And I'm not throwing anything vertical posts, corners, flies. Nope, none of it. So I want to see how impressive was Jake Mayer's actual completion streak? Because we just look at the number of, Hey, he completed all of his passes. That's fantastic. And we make a big deal about it. And I'm not saying that he didn't throw vertically. I'm just saying I need to dig in and find out whether or not this dude is for real. And he was on target with all those throws and we should be applauding him even more going into Labor Day. Or is it a bit of a fallacy where he didn't really have to make any difficult throws? They were all steamed open by Dickinson and maybe he's not as good as we think going into Labor Day. And maybe Edmonton has an opportunity uh, to take a shot. So yeah, that's, that, that's what I would say about Jake Mayer at this point. Yeah, I just ran because Fajardo in the opener of the season did 15 for 15. Start that one. Average 6.1 yards downfield. Right. Okay. Those are those are passes you complete on average. The league would complete those 80 to 85 percent of the time. Yeah. Just yeah. Even even across the width of the field. I'd have to dive in and compare it to the actual 35 zones I would have. But <laughs> I, it was it was a little above expected. Let's say that when you go 15 for 15 or mayor's case. 17 in a row awesome it's a i don't know where he's going with this i don't know what kind of quarterback he might be out of the league in a year and a half but damn is it fun right now it is fun right now because i i and i say this on the radio a couple times uh, i would have been nothing like that i would have been scared and i would have been little little dribbles there would have been little dribbles that would have been my nickname suits would have given me the nickname little dribbles or or dunnigan back in the studio would have called him look at little dribbles here on the rollout would have been awful. Mayor is just going for it, and I love it. Yes, yeah, he is fun for sure. And again, Calgary, Edmonton coming up on Labor Day as uh, as Edmonton gets back into action. Let's tee up uh, what we are looking for. We what we want you to look for in these matchups. Uh, as of right now, we have a full slate. We believe that Edmonton's going to be good. So uh, we'll begin on Friday night. It's Montreal and Ottawa. What do you want people to watch for? Uh, how far under the total it goes. It's currently 42 and a half Oof. on the CFL's official betting partner. Uh, would you bet it under 26 and a half the way these two offenses have gone? Um, this is one of the, this is honestly, this is one of the winnable games for Ottawa. When I sketched out this season, and of course I do a lot of the gambling stuff with TSN Edge, I looked at over under three and a half wins for the Red Blacks. I kind of penciled out, okay, well, the games at home to Montreal to me are at, are are their winnable games. And yeah. at the time, I thought the games at home to BC would be their winnable games. Less so now, seeing what BC has been all about. But Ottawa, this is one that they have the potential to to win. So how do they respond to that? They're they're not out of it in the East, where the where the league leader division leader, pardon me, has two wins and they have one win. Sure, yeah. it was a fluke win in in Edmonton. But how does Ottawa respond in a winnable game where their talent disparity between them? Well, actually, you know what? Montreal's got a lot of talent, too. What does Ottawa do in a game that I would consider to be winnable at home against a, a team that what, did Montreal finish eighth or seventh in our power rankings on CFP? Yeah, I believe that they were seventh Edmonton, eight Ottawa, nine, I believe is how that ended up. So, OK, yeah. Uh, but yeah, for me in this one, what I'm watching for is. Vernon Adams Jr. to make the throws he's capable of. And I'm not even saying five-yard curls or like he makes creative throws and he likes to make those off-schedule throws. He has the ability. The plays are there to be made. 
This Ottawa defense gives up a lot of yardage. Going into that game on Saturday against BC, they were last in the league and allowed uh, average net offense. It was like 400 yards they were giving up. They're really good in the score zone because Benavides' defense, when you get down tight, he, he backs it up. But they give up a lot of yardage. And if they're going to give up a lot of yardage in this game, that's going to require BA to make some throws. And I just want to see him because after really going through with a fine-tooth comb that game against Hamilton, there's no less than eight throws that he just missed. He just missed Mm. them. And he doesn't need to miss them. And I don't want him to miss them. I think he's got the ability, make the plays that are in front of you. That's got to be the message for Kahari Jones going into that one for him. So uh, the next game that we got. Can I make an addendum to that game? Yes, yeah. If you have third and two on Ottawa's five-yard line and you kick a field goal, I'm going to bust my television. (laughs) Because if, honestly, here's the thing for, for everybody. If you don't believe the other team's offense is particularly good, you should be more aggressive and go for it and not be afraid of turning over the ball in their territory. This thing where you take three points because, well, they're not going to score. What are they going to do when you score seven? Because you convert third and two easier than you expect. Go for it. Mud Kahari, go for it. Give Vernon Adams options on third and two from the five and don't make it be a a field goal. I don't don't need any more short field goals in my life. The next one coming up for you, Saturday off. Hey, college football Saturday. Nice. That's fun. Uh, Then on Sunday, we've got, of course, the Riders and the Bombers and the showdown of the West that everyone's been excited about for a couple of weeks now. What's I I mean, you could talk for 17 hours straight as you do (laughs) uh, on the sports gauge each week about what you're looking for in this one. But what's the thing that you think people should be looking for that are watching on television or in the stands? Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg's defensive line against Saskatchewan's offensive line. I... The numbers will the numbers will deceive with Saskatchewan's offensive line because they're they're very quickly getting the ball out and Fajardo has these games of six point seven and six point five average or, or air yards yards uh, depth of target. They're getting the ball out quick, I think, to cover up for some problems they believe that could emerge. So what can Winnipeg do with that? What do Willie and and Jeff Coat do with that? And if you're going to get the ball out, how many times is Willie? fake rush and then step back and just start swatting planes out of the sky because he's <laughs> Willie Jefferson. Uh, that is, that is the one thing I, I feel great about both these teams in a lot of areas. That's the one I am most curious to see, but Saskatchewan has been able to cover up what I thought would be a weakness for them this season, because frankly, they're on their fourth and fifth tackles that they brought to camp and who could possibly survive that Winnipeg's, Healthy defensive line, and I know not totally healthy, but a healthy defensive line is the real test right now in the Canadian Football League. So what happens on Sunday? Yep. Uh, for me, it's pretty simple. Jason Moss is coming off of a bye week. I got a feeling there's going to be some yeah. fun. There's going to be some funky formations. There's going to be some different uh, motions. There's, I just I'm interested in the creativity of what Saskatchewan does because I don't think that you can go up against that Winnipeg defense and just run it straight into them and hope for the best. And I don't think that you can run the basic pass offense that, you know, at times they've just been able to script and beat BC on the first couple of drives in that first game of the year. I I think Moss is going to have something fun in the package. I think it's going to be different. I don't know if it's going to be the diamond. I don't know if it's going to be whatever, but uh, that's what I have my eye on. So uh, fingers crossed, he does come out and and show us a little bit of something different in that one. Uh, Monday, Hamilton, Toronto. I will just say on this one that when I look at, at, Nick Arbuckle and Dane Evans, I think that it's the future of both franchises. And I hope that this is the first of many Labor Day classics in Ontario 
where we get those two guys going against each other in terms of supporting cast. I think Toronto is better off right now. I think they've just showed that DJ Foster and John White can get you back-to-back 100-yard games. I know Wes Hills is pretty banged up for Hamilton. Uh, Sean Thomas Erlington, can he carry the load the whole time? If this game comes down to playmakers making plays when they need late in the game, my bet is in Toronto because I think that they've yeah. got just a, a really varied group, regardless to be seen whether or not Devaris Daniels is ready to come back as of yet. But I, I just feel like Toronto's got this personality that they showed off week one in Calgary and then week three at home in their opener against Winnipeg, where it's like, we just don't give a damn what we're supposed to think <laughs> of everybody else. Like we're, we're not the same old Argos team that, you know, flexes. And then at the first sign of adversity cowers, because I've, yeah. I've really felt like that, especially in Labor Day classics, they go into Hamilton, tough environment, loud, crazy. I think they'll be able to fight through all of that. And I think Toronto ends up actually winning the Labor Day Classic in Hamilton and sending a message. So uh, I, I just, I'm interested to see how they respond to some adversity in that game, because I think they're more mentally tough than we give them credit for at this point in the year. Yeah, I think Toronto is for real. I also believe Hamilton is, is for real. So this will be a really nice one. Yeah. The two teams that meet in the East final Toronto and Hamilton will be different than this one. Hamilton, like I've talked about before, is going to get healthy. Hamilton, I, I don't have the updated one for the game against Montreal, but uh, STE getting 0.8 yards before contact while uh, DJ Foster gets four yards before <laughs> contact. Let's, let's go ahead and fix that up a little bit to, if you're figure out whatever it takes for Hamilton. But uh, yeah, whatever we get this week, I feel like Hamilton turned a corner last week. Toronto is at least the third best team in CFL though. So this is going to be a real real good test and not one if if Hamilton comes up on the short end of this I'm certainly not writing them off because no. they have a lot of uh they have a lot of bodies and super important bodies to get back in there but I'm I'm going to enjoy this to see if it confirms what I've kind of believed about Toronto my only thought on this game and the next game and the two after that that are happening between these teams is just <laughs> it just determines home field for the East final like yeah. that that's my whole thinking on this is you can make a big deal about Labor Day or the rematch or the next, oh, it's the Argos. It's always a big game. This four-game set you're going to get over the next three months, the whole thing is just going to determine the East final. And at that point, it's going to be a question of who's the healthiest when you get there, who has home field, who's playing the best football, and who executes on that day. That's what this entire season in the East is going to come down to. These two teams and those opportunities to make plays in the games against each other and steal home field. And then when you get home field, use it. So Hamilton dearly wants home field because they want to play an East final at home before potentially getting a a great cup at home, whether or not Toronto has the mental fortitude that I mentioned to overcome that passion, that energy that's going to be in Hamilton. That's going to be great to watch. I'm excited to be able to find that out alongside everybody else. Uh, Last one Mm -hmm. of the weekend, uh, the game that we think will be played, uh, which is still a weird thing to say, but Edmonton and Calgary for me, (laughs) Edmonton's been off the field quarantining, not allowed to practice with each other. I just want to see what the hell their offensive rhythm looks like. Like, because yeah. it, it wasn't great through the first two games of the season. Obviously, the third week they end up going into BC getting the victory, but it, it worked, looked better. Ellingson was significantly better, but it didn't look like they were everything we expected they would be at the start of the season. Now you've been sitting in a hotel room or in your house for essentially a week. And I, I just wonder how many points they can possibly put on the board and produce and understand body language and timing and cadence and huddle. 
when you had just haven't been at practice. Because if you miss a day or two of practice due to injury, you feel it on game day. When your entire team misses a week, what is that supposed to look like when you hit the field? The, the plus for them is it sounds like they're going to get the full week of practice, right? Yeah. They'll start Thursday with day one, play the game on, on day five as the standard goes. So that's great news for them. They should be ready for this at least. I, I, I mean, we talked about Jake Mayer. I want to see that. Did Edmonton actually turn a corner with the win in, in week number three is something I'll be curious about. This is something I, I contemplated, and I forget if we talked about it on the cage, Marshall, but if if Edmonton were to sweep this home and home, Calgary would be one in five. The and those words, the Calgary Stampeders would be one and five. Don't feel like they shouldn't go together in the same sentence because no. there are people listening to this podcast that weren't alive the last time they they didn't win double digit games. Right? Yeah. It's just it's nuts to think about that. So the odds are they split and everything's okay for everybody, but Calgary could be one in five. I think Calgary is significantly better than their record shows. Uh, Their point differential, if you see it, they they haven't lost by much. They haven't won by much in their one victory. I think they win both. I I think Calgary Calgary bounces back in this. If Jake Mayer is for real, I don't even care if Bo Levi comes back super quick. I just think if Jake Mayer is going to complete a high amount of his passes, they get a little bit more out of their playmakers. And Edmonton could be in tough coming out of this, even with the practices in the next couple of days, your starting left guard gets released because he's an idiot. Then you end up having, uh, you know, your receivers probably being affected by COVID a little bit in terms of getting their wind back and all the rest and, and the reps and the timing. So I just, I feel like this is a perfect storm for at the end of the rematch, Calgary goes into Edmonton, gets back-to-back victories and they're three and three. And at that point you're going, okay, they're now in third in the hunt, whereas Edmonton might be kind of towards the back end. And it's at that point, you're kind of thinking Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, Calgary. Well, that's the three teams that were there in 2019 in the West playoffs, right? Because you had Edmonton crossing over and BC not making it. How how quickly do we get back to that kind of being the status quo in terms of standings? Yeah, uh, the, the betters on this early release would agree with you. The line started... Edmonton, I believe it was minus, uh, plus three and a half. It got all the way up to six on oh. Tuesday. So now it's currently, as we're talking, it's plus Edmonton plus five and a half. Mm. So the betters are clearly thinking that Calgary, the last place team in the CFL, uh, at least by record for whatever that's worth, yeah. is significantly better than the Edmonton Elks. So, yeah. Go. Very curious to see it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, thank you, as always, to our good friends over at Fox 40 for helping us out here. Get your Fox 40 gear, your whistles, your coaching boards, and much more. Go to their website, fox40shop.com. Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off on any and all of your orders. They got the Sonic Blast CMG with 120 decibels of sound power. You can use that. Just don't use it during Labor Day in the stands in Regina because that that will get you kicked out of the stadium very quickly. So uh, I hope that you have a blast, DT. I hope you enjoy Labor Day. It's uh, Christmas in the prairies, I know. So oh, it's it's going to be so good. And then yeah, then next week we'll talk about just how deafening it is when you go to Winnipeg for the banjo bowl because that oh, yeah. stadium keeps the sound in. It's it's two weeks of hearing protection for me. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, we will all be listening again the Sports Cage. You can catch GDT, of course, throughout the week and then listen to the game broadcast. I love listening to your guys' pregame show, by the way, on 620 CKRM. <laughs> uh, you can get it on there. And uh, we will talk to you right here on CFP with the breakdown coming up next Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening and have yourselves a great Labor Day weekend.